Yeah, it's my uh, my blessing to be able to just open up God's Word and spend some time in letting God's Word speak kind of hearts in the middle of the circumstances we're in. And, and when I look at this, I love this Bible in a year theme we've been doing. And cause I think what it does, at least for me, is it grounds me in the Scripture as I was thinking about what to say, what to prepare, as I was thinking through this, I was like, well, actually, I'm going to stick through kind of what is this Bible in a year text kind of bring us. And in that, I was like, I, was, I just saw some things that just really the timeliness of it was was really spot on and really incredible how the Word of God speaks into that. And so sometimes I think the other natural thing to do is look at the world around us and try to overlay that into the text. I don't want to do that either. I don't want to, I don't want to try to force the circumstances to, to speak to the text. Uh, I heard it once said that it's best to have a newspaper in your hand and your Bible in the other. Um, and to look at the text and say, okay, God, what do you have for us uh, today? And so in our series, we're looking at Acts 13 and 14, and uh, we're going to spend some time taking a look at uh, how does God's Word speak to us uh, and understand how to spread hope, how to understand lo- uh, spreading love, uh, and spreading the love of God in the context of the church uh, today uh, and the community to which we live. And so um, I want to pause actually here in a minute and pause the video and have you guys get your Bibles open up the text, and read Acts 13 and 14. And so that's what we're going to do right now. It might seem a little kind of awkward, but I want some engagement here. We're going to pause the video, open up your scriptures, look at Acts 13 and 14. Hope you had a chance to, to look at those scripture verses. And here we see uh, Paul as the central figure, and he's being sent out with Barnabas. Uh, they're, they're the first missionary journey, uh, missionaries being sent out. Uh, and so the, 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 the command in Acts chapter 1 is that the disciples were to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is that beginning. It's the first missionary journey for them to now be sent out as missionaries. We see uh, in Acts uh, 13, it says that they were sent out, and so that the Holy Spirit selected them, said, okay, um, in Acts 13, um, uh, verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit, they were set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. What was that work that they were called to do? And, and Paul answers that in, in Acts 20, 24. It says, But I do not count my life for any value or precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry I receive from the Lord to testify the gospel of Jesus Christ. To testify the gospel of God. And so that was Paul's mission, his heartbeat, that he would do whatever it took, that he'd finish the course. And so now what's this course? He's been sent out. There's no script. There's no plan other than dependence upon the Holy Spirit and prayer and to go into the ends of the earth. And so they're sent out now to the Gentile nations. And we see now this is the, the beginning of Luke's account to shifting now the church outside of Jerusalem. It's the beginning of the movement of God outside of this. This is now the model and the mission of the church has dramatically changed. The purpose of what the church was, was in Jerusalem. Now it's moving outside of Jerusalem. Everything has changed in the first century context 
of the church. Everything's changed. What do they do? Where do you go? What's the purpose? What's the mission? In our backdrop, everything has changed. What's our purpose? What's our response to the mission of God? And here we see God's divine initiative starting to change and, and move out from Jerusalem. We see these early disciples, what they were relentless. They were resilient. And when they faced these challenges, they chased, chased it down with joy and with passion, saying that we are called to make disciples and we're going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we see this early church starting to move out as this mission of the call of the gospel. We see God's heart for lost peace, lost, we see the heart of, uh, of God for lost people. We see the heart of the message of hope and love to reconcile lost people back to himself. So we see God's love for the church is beyond just the certain just needs of the community. They're going out to the fringes, uh, the lost places. And so one observation as I was thinking through this was actually in Acts 13, verse 5. And I think we would probably typically go right over the top of that, but it's, it says, when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And so the first thing they did is actually following the pattern that Jesus did. So now moving on from the book of Acts, we see the movement of the church was that Paul would go into the synagogue and he would preach. Or Paul learned that from Jesus. And we see the very beginning of that actually in, in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus went into the synagogue and he says, this is the mission. This is the mission of God. It's the, it's the, the theology of mission started back and Jesus modeled that for us. When Jesus would go into the synagogues and he would say, this is the mission of God. To reconcile himself back to the world. To go to the fringes of society. Jesus preaches this message. Tells them why he's here. His purpose. Uh, so we see the mission of God in Luke chapter 4. And it's Elijah and Elisha. And, uh, and Jesus tells the story of how God goes out to the fringes of society, what he does there. And, and Paul mirrors the exact same message in Acts chapter 13. He's following the, 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 the model of Jesus. And then we see this. What astounded me is that looking through this, the disciples then were filled with joy. They boldly preached the gospel. And people try to stop them, distract them, discourage them, stone them, lock them up. But the response in these trials was joy. I love that line that they said that they, that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit at the end of Acts chapter 13. And then going to Acts 14, we start to see them boldly declaring the word of His grace. Declaring the good news of the gospel. And then we see then at the end of that, they try to stone Paul in Acts 14. And then in verse 22, he says, He was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith, and saying that through many tribulations will enter the kingdom. Of God. So what's the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to make disciples who can reproduce and make more disciples. And we're going to face challenges. We're going to face opposition. We're going to face circumstances that we can't control. And we're in one of those seasons of the church. The church will move forward because disciples are to make disciples. And so I, I look at the movement of of the early church. So within the first two years, 
Within the first two years, they filled Jerusalem. So that's Acts 5 and Acts 6. Four and a half years into this, you see in Acts chapter 9 that there was multiplying churches in Acts chapter 9. 19 years in, we see that they have turned the world upside down. I love this. They found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots all over the world. So 19 years into this, we see that the whole world is responding to the gospel. And then 28 years later, it says that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. That's in Colossians 1, 5 through 6. So that the gospel you've seen and heard is now proclaimed to every creature under heaven. The gospel is bearing fruit. When I was thinking about fruit, uh, the thing that came to mind was, was with me I have um, two pieces of, of fruit, you could say. They have seeds, so therefore to me, two tomatoes are, are in my hand, or three tomatoes, I should say, um, are in my hand of, of, of an illustration of, of fruit. Uh, a good youth pastor has to have uh, an illustration, a word picture to try to make it connect. And so as I was thinking about these two things, you have two different types uh, of seeds here. You have the genetically modified tomato, and then you have this what's called an heirloom tomato. Uh, at first glance, you kind of can see the differences between the two of them. Uh, the genetically modified tomato that is beautiful and red and consistent and has just uh, it's been beautiful uh, for you to 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 take and to eat. And it's what we, we picture of when we think of a tomato. It's what we've been conditioned, it's what have been marketed to us. It's on the pictures in the restaurant with that juicy tomato with uh, the beads of water dripping off of it. Uh, this genetically modified tomato has been yield, created to have an incredible yield. So when it's planted, it produces an incredible fold. So therefore, you could take the, the fruit from this, and therefore, it's, it's more money for the farmers and for the markets. Um, these are, as well as they, they, they design these, so that they, they cut them off the, off the vine green, put them in the trucks, and then they design the trucks to have special gases in them, so they actually ripen in the truck, and then they show up to your supermarket, ready to go. Because if it wasn't that way, if they just cut them when they're fresh off the vine, they only last only a few days. And so there's been an incredible amount of engineering science from the lab to create this seed to get this in the hands of your marketplace so you'd buy this genetically modified tomato. The, the hybrid tomato, this one, this seed comes from uh, over 100 years to be a heirloom tomato. And the thing about a tomato, heirloom tomato, is that the first yield is very low. It takes years for it to actually start to produce more tomatoes. And in this tomato that you have, um, you don't know what you're gonna get. It's yellow, it's purple, it's, it's green, different colors, and they, they're kind of lumpy, they're kind of, uh, you don't know what they're, and it tastes a little bit different. Um, and the difference between these two types of tomatoes is this one can actually reproduce, but it looks different. This one, looks like what we're supposed to have in mind of what a tomato is. We've been conditioned to think this is what a tomato is. They're both tomatoes, but this one cannot reproduce. So what kind of seed do you have? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, will you be able to produce yourself into the lives of the people? And it's going to look different. And we now the, the church is now going to look different. What we've used to being depended upon to, to make disciples and to produce, it might look now a little bit different 
and the church going forth. And at the end of the day, it's still a tomato, but we want to produce tomatoes that we can produce. Reproduce tomatoes that are in the lives of people that, you know what, it's going to look a little bit different. And that's the journey we're on. We're a journey on right now today of what's it going to look like for us? What's it going to look like for us to be like that early church? To be like Paul, sent out on mission, prayerfully depending upon the Holy Spirit, to finish the task of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a pile of rotten tomatoes. Useless. But I want to invest my life as an heirloom tomato, thinking differently and ready to produce the results that maybe I wasn't anticipated, but I can reproduce itself. So that's what I'm learning in this Bible in a Year series. What it looks like for us to be the church in a new context today. It's good just to pause for a moment and talk about, I think, one of the realities is you look at um, working with the children's ministry, working with the youth, and being a parent and having a middle school and a, and, a, and a child in third grade. The reality that where this hits the hardest at times mm-hmm. is actually how do we as parents shepherd and lead through this? Absolutely. And, and I think as a parent, just even to be intentional to disciple your kids... I'll be the first to just raise my hand and say, I feel so insecure when it comes to that. I feel like I don't really know what to do. Don't really know. I mean, it hasn't been modeled. Um, the struggle and the reality of how to do this in the home uh, in regards to our, our lives have completely disrupted, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, yes. I, I feel vulnerable as a parent in, um, in where we are today in the society and being isolated and how close we can be in proximity to one another. But listening to your teaching, it brought me to dive deeper, a little bit further into that chapter. And in Acts 20, let me read it, 20, 27, it says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood, which he bought with his own blood. And so that what's that saying to me is how, um, how we're responsible for our actions and our behaviors in the midst of our own fear and uncertainty and how we're shepherding our children well hmm. in that. Hmm. My husband and I were talking last night in, in discussing with one another where we are in all of this... Um, turmoil and how long will this last and my my husband and our kids are already climbing the walls so how are we going to model our behavior and our communication verbally but our physical communication to instill trust and safety Hmm. in our own home yeah i think all of us as parents are feeling that like wow now supposed to be working from home uh the kids are out of school they're out of their routines Mm-hmm. There isn't, um, are they supposed to be continuing schooling? As I mean, as a parent, am I supposed to be shepherding or instructing? Right. Or um, are, we, are we allowed to go outside and go to some place? I mean, my kids are like, hey, can we go to the beach? Can we, right. you know, what, where is the, uh, where, what's the intent of, of this all? And so I know I, I'm struggling with that. Um, I'm struggling just, okay, my own emotions, okay? <laughs> so am I allowed to express my frustration and, um, and how does that being being transferred to our kids? And so just even working through 
uh, that emotional uh, maturity. How do we how do we respond to this? Yeah, yeah. I we're we're working through that as well. Um, I, in collecting content to provide to all of you for your kids this week, and then actually our home conversations too. Um, I've been reminded time and time again about the honesty that we as parents are are responsible for communicating to our kids, not to instill fear, but to to provide them a real snapshot of what we're wrestling with. And I think that actually helps to model healthy resilience to them as well. Um, to be like, you know, I, I don't have answers for you, but I wanna hear what's on your heart. And for us to resist the urge to say, no, no, you're gonna be okay. But to really sit with their emotions and to honor where they are. And in the midst of that and say, God will remain faithful and God will see us through. It's really challenging. You know, at home last night, we're, we're reading a post from Teacher of the Year in Louisiana, and he is speaking specifically to this class of 2020. Hmm. And Ethan is a class of 2020. Wow. And, and all of the sadness and the loss that they're experiencing, and they're missing out on these last few months of senior year when this is they've built up since kindergarten to this and the sadness amidst of this and this teacher actually knew firsthand from experience because his senior year was cut short by Hurricane Katrina and he had to finish his year in a different state from a shelter and so the perspective shift and the um, just the empathy that he had for our kids and so it reminded me again yet which is why this passage was so important and meaningful to me today after your your teaching was that we are responsible for mm -hmm. holding this so well for them yeah. and that how we do this now will be a snapshot to our children when they're leading their children someday hopefully not in a pandemic but there will surely be things yeah. that they will be leading their children through as yeah well. just as our roles here a village to help shepherd uh you as parents um we're first to admit we don't have all the answers uh, first, that uh, we don't have a quick blog post that'll make solve all the challenges right. we're facing. Right? Yeah. This is face <laughs> sure. it. It's raw. For it's sure. real. It's right in front of us. Um, you know, but there, there's a few things that I think uh, for me are, are grounding that are yeah. that do keep. You know, I kind of weave it back to yeah. uh, true north. It helps me kind of get reorientated back yeah. to the right direction when like I the when anchor. I, that, yeah, yeah, the anchor. And one of those is uh, when Jesus was appears to disciples. Uh, this is in the Galilee when he gives the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. It says that some worshipped and some doubted. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus can handle our yeah. fears. Jesus can handle our doubts. He can handle when a one, the, the emotional expression of worship mm -hmm. and the next moment we're doubting, we're struggling. And I think in the parents, that continuum is real. Oh, for sure. And then when Jesus then reappears to his disciples, um, he dies on the cross and they're in the upper room. They're trying to figure things out. Yeah. And he comes to them and says, peace I give you. Um, and that whole idea of peace is, is shalom. There's nothing lacking, nothing missing. And so I look at Jesus as my model. I look at what did Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that, that, that phrase, I call it the Jesus Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to get a whole other teaching on this. But the idea that the centerpiece, I think, is, okay, how do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Mm -hmm. How do we love our neighbor as yourself? So just as a kind of a simple way, maybe just as families to kind of be praying through that, 
we're going to create just a simple piece of artwork and a, and a poster that you can pick up at the church. You can put that on your wall, put it around maybe your dinner table, and just um, have a time of praying around uh, the Jesus Shema and saying, God, would you, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you help us understand that you are the God of peace that brings nothing lacking, nothing missing. We can trust Jesus through this time. I know we don't want to give this to Jesus easy answers because right, right. it's, it's still a struggle, <laughs> still a challenge. Yeah. But I think our, our ministries are going to be wrestling through how do we best serve you during this time. So thank you, Joanne. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the, the handout that you'll provide for the families too. I love the idea of having that grounding anchor in your home, even as um, posted somewhere in the home to just go back to when any any of the family members maybe are feeling unraveled in their behavior because you know behavior is communication that okay you know noticing that and just being anchored and let's let's stop and pause and let's pray and recenter yeah absolutely I love that so thank you yeah so we're in this with you we're going to journey with you figure out ways to help you become effective disciple makers in the home thank you